Hey, I'm Joseph. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm Joseph. And I'm Steve. We're exploring a simple question. Why do people do what they do? Welcome to Working Title. All right, so this one might just have a little bit of a different feel. Um, I know when I I listen to a lot of podcasts, and uh, one of the things that I I don't tend to to enjoy is when I feel like I'm just a fly in the wall to a conversation that that I know nothing about. That I feel like I'm just listening to two or three friends talk about old memories, um, and it just feels real inside baseball in a way that excludes me as the listener. Um, and we try not to do that. We try to try to make the conversations here feel personal and intimate, um, but also um, uh, done in a way that it would invite the listener to to not feel excluded from it. This one might have a little bit of a different feel. Just some background. Um, you know, Joseph and I are talking with David Dukason today, and we've got a a little bit of a different relationship than than previous guests and so or probably anyone right yeah um and you'll hear about that in this interview but um just to let you know that if it feels like it's it's pretty uh you know just three people having a conversation we're we're aware of that yeah and and we're okay with that so david dukason what is it that uh you do or maybe i'll Maybe we'll start this podcast not in the way that we always start our podcast because I will phrase the question, David Dukeson, what did you do? <laughs> That's strange. <laughs> that is very weird. Um, yeah, for the last 10 years, I've been the pastor at Center City Church. I've got my hands in a lot of different things. But um, as you guys started off, you always say, what do you, if you're in a social setting, I would also say that uh, it depends on what social setting I'm in because a lot of times I try and hide the fact that I... <laughs> was a pastor because people stop cussing or they apologize to me or they start acting differently because of it. And, um, one of the things that's just been like a core part of our belief, I mean, our shared beliefs with all of us is that just be genuine, be who you are. And I've always hated it when I get into these social settings and people act differently because I'm a pastor and I'm like, nah, my name's just David. Like, you don't like, you don't have to call me pastor or reverend or whatever when, father when, yeah no i like that one <laughs> yeah, that like one's it. not bad <laughs> it, it is strange though how cussing is seen like that's what it has funneled down to i think yeah you know like yeah oh he's yeah, a I'm pastor i'm that. going to stop i'm like cussing. did you apologize to like the you know the, the bag boy at the grocery store when you cuss like <laughs> right. maybe he's a christian too i don't know you know I'll, I'll watch people's faces as they go back for the last 30 minutes and thinking about the things <laughs> that they said and they're like oh I, yeah I just didn't realize. I'm oh, so I'm sorry. So sorry that I talked about that. You know, it's, like it's, it's so going to be fine. I will say this: um, I listened to y'all's podcast uh, on two X speed, so it's really nice to hear you. Do you normal? Really? Yeah, don't know what I like that. You're and, uh, such an alien. I don't know why you do that. No, it's like my kids will be like, "Why did? Why does Joseph and Steve sound so <laughs> fast?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm just I'm efficient." I do talk very slow, so that you probably really helps. Do. But you Steve really is it probably like a normal. Tough. No, you guys both kind of have like a nice sweet timbre to your voice wait do i speak slow or fast no you speak normal my oh, my I, roommate in college you still was, have like the the the, the southern drawl thing yeah. going on <laughs> my, my roommate in college brian machado was from rhode island and i remember one of the first conversations i had with him he was like oh my god just say it say whatever <laughs> yeah. you're gonna say my god 
<laughs> and so for all those uh, podcast uh, groupies out there, 2X Speed. Hmm. Yeah, I've never never bought into that yet. I would truly never. Yeah. Anyway, continue, David. So yeah, sorry. as of, well, tell your story again then as far as like, you know, so what do you do? Yeah, the, the uh, I mean, Joseph and Steve are a part of a small group of people right now that as we're recording this, um, as of yesterday, uh, we just uh, selected the new lead pastor at Center City Church. And um, I've been navigating for quite a while now. I mean, uh, honestly, over a year, um, what that looks like for me. Um, I'm finishing up, or I just finished a doctoral program uh, where I was studying the cyclical patterns of generational poverty and and uh, have been able to be involved in some pretty cool work with that and um, have a real passion for uh, preaching and teaching the Word of God. Um, and for writing. And so I've been processing with Joseph and Steve for quite a while and some other friends, um, just how that pairs with, with pastoring a local church body, which I've been really passionate about. And, um, yeah, as of yesterday, um, that has been put in motion and we'll be making the announcement, um, on May 26, 2019, which is a week and a half from today. Wow. That is really bizarre to even hear it. It's even, even knowing the conversations that we've had just to hear it out loud is very strange. Yeah. And I mean, it's a big deal. Like, so explain, I guess why it's a big deal. This isn't like you were hired on as a, as Mm -hmm. a, an assistant pastor to a church that's been in existence for 50 years. And then you're just getting a new job. I mean, this is different. Yeah. My first 10 years in ministry were in the mega church and I learned, you know, how beautiful things can be. Um, when you get a bunch of people that love Jesus and point to Jesus and the resources that are available there, but they also learned um, some of the underbelly of the church world that um, is just like any gathering of any you know sociological gathering of people is going to have you know some some stuff that goes sideways, and so uh, instead of uh, taking um, some jobs in my late twenties that seemed like uh, jumping the ladder and, and moving more into the megachurch world, we went the opposite direction and started sharing a vision for starting something from scratch. And we did that in April of 2010. Um, we had moved to Charlotte a little bit prior to that to help somebody else start a church. And then in April of 2010, we launched Southern City Church and uh, started in our living room with just a handful of people. And, um, and we've seen it kind of ebb and flow in different seasons. Um, we, we went very much with the, uh, the thing of, if this is real, it'll spread. We didn't do any advertising. Um, Joseph and Steve both came on, uh, very early in that process, which I don't know how much we'll get into that, but have been very significant, uh, in my life, um, as, as very, very close friends for probably almost or more than 20 years, almost something like that. Long time. Yeah. Long time. Um, I mean, a, a better part of two decades and, um, and then we just started building something that we could see as real and genuine and, um, and it did, it spread and it grew to a couple hundred people. And then we, um, were in a pretty affluent part of uptown Charlotte and started to sense the call to an area that was, um, uh, historically pretty high poverty. And so we moved the church over there, lost a bunch of people, built it back up again together. And so we've been through a lot together, um, and so what's weird about where I'm at right now and just saying it out loud and why I guess we wanted to do this today is, um, it's trying to process like something that I've been so passionate about for a better part of a decade. Um, and, and now realizing that when this comes out soon, 
you know, it'll be the former pastor of Center City <laughs> Church. So my, my last Sunday will be six weeks from this Sunday. Yeah. That's crazy. You talk like, you know, one of your, one of the things you say a lot, if anyone goes to Center City, they've heard you say there's no Center City Church in the kingdom of God or right. in heaven. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and so no one, I don't think, can accuse you of, you know, like just being this self-promoter or this, even this big promoter of Center City Church up up and against you know, other churches or whatever, but like, you know, shed, shed the, the temptation to play that sort of pastor card. Like this isn't about me. I mean, you poured, you, you built this, like you poured yourself into this for nine years from, from your living room into where it is right now. I mean, like, you know, I guess take that in maybe any direction you want, but I mean, like you've got this emotional connection, you've got there, you've got to have the sense of pride of what mm. what you and your family have done. Of course, not exclusively by yourselves, yeah. but man, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's the first thing I'd say to that is that I mean, it, you guys are just as much a part of shaping it as as I was. Um, but I will say that you know, it's it, it was a decision over and over and over again. Um, you know, one of the things that I think it's important for people to hear as they're exploring vocation is every time that we had another job offer and we said no to that, we were saying yes to this. And there were some really lean times where, where it would have been really easy to leave this. And, um, there were some really, really dark nights, uh, along the way in this. And so every time we said no to other opportunities that were out there, we were saying yes again to the call that we believe that we had to continue to build this. And, um, and so, yeah, it's, it is very emotional, but, but, you know, one of the things that Dara, my wife and I, we've got four kids at home that are 15, 14, 12 and 10. Uh, one of the things that we've been praying lately is how do you hear well done and how do you receive the affirmation of you did well? And then how do you hear the you're done, you know? And I think that's, I think that's true for a lot of people, not just pastors and, and whatever, but like for us, this was a very emotional, very, very, um, calling driven thing. We felt a lot of purpose in this decade that we've poured our lives into, this organization, this, this church body and family that we've, uh, helped create. And, um, and honestly, the, the done part of it was a lot faster and a lot simpler than I thought it was going to be a lot less emotional. It's more emotional when I talk about it than when I started to feel like, Oh, I think I figured out like, like who's supposed to be next. And like, we've been exploring that for a couple weeks now. Um, it's more emotional for me to, to reflect now and talk about it than it was actually to receive the well done. Like that just feels like the end of something, uh, really meaningful. Mm. Um, and so when I talk about it, I get emotional, but in the middle of it, it was like, no, no, no. Like I, I think we did a good job here, but I also don't think that we would do a good job if we were to stay. Right. Cause I think that we're at a tipping point and we're either going to tip in a positive direction with somebody who's next or I think that we could tip backwards because I really don't think I'm the one that's supposed to take it into the next season. What does that, well, two quick questions, I guess. One, when you start, like, did you, did you think you would retire as pastor of Center City when you started it? No, I, never. It was always a... But there was always a willingness. Yeah. Um, I tell people that my wife did not marry a lead pastor. I mean, I was leading worship and traveling the country and that sounds cool. You know, like, and then all of a sudden, you know, like we started to sense that the Lord was calling us into pastoring a church. And she kind of looked at me like, yeah, that's not what I signed up for. But and um, not only that, but you were making zero dollars in yeah, the beginning. Yeah, at the beginning. Pouring coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I worked at Caribou Coffee. I made a mean latte. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the stuff that I think about. I was like, all right, have you gotten to that nostalgic place yet, thinking about those early days? Uh, today, when we told the kids, um, there was a lot of tears around the table today because uh, it hit me that uh, my 10-year-old son, Ben, um, has never known anything else other than Center City Church. Oh, and, that's weird. And he, um, you know, you don't want to embarrass my kids on the, you know, the World Wide Web, but like, you know, like there was some some tears from all of us today. Of and course. so there's some, certainly some nostalgia there. And I, and I've had, you know, moments along the way where, um, I mean, I just think that if you're not crying over something that you have invested 10 years into, then it probably didn't mean that much to you. And, um, and so, you know, that it's definitely a bit of a emotional roller coaster right now. Um, but to go back to your question, I never, I was always willing to retire as the pastor of center city church but I've continued to choose this because I felt called to it. Um, there, I've, I'm interested in a lot of other things and um, kind of entrepreneurial by nature. And so I'm, I'm much better at starting things than I am like running big organizations. And so, um, so I don't know what's next. I mean, maybe when, you know, this releases, maybe I'm the next CEO of Coke. I have no idea, but you know, like, I don't, I don't think so. Please give me money. Yeah, 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 that's fine. <laughs> if that happens. Yeah, if that happens, I will absolutely... Yeah. Working titled brought to you by Coca-Cola. Oh, I was, I was thinking that I was going to have to become like a skateboarder or something. So yeah, this podcast is a lot better than that. Yeah. I, I probably, I mean, I don't know what's next, but if I, if I know myself, um, envisioning stuff and, and starting it is more compelling to me than, than taking something that's established. Yeah. One of the things that's interesting, I think about you is that, uh, and I think draws people to you is that you didn't have a ton of uh, not in a, this is not in an unhealthy way, in a very healthy way. You didn't have a ton of identity attached to the idea that you were the lead pastor of mm-hmm. a church. It wasn't like, cause you see a lot of people gripping that mm-hmm. very tightly. Mm-hmm. And the, the notion that you would lose that mm-hmm. for the power of it, for the prestige of it, mm-hmm. for whatever, uh, would be a really scary thing. Have, have you felt like all of those years of seemingly holding it loosely have helped in this? Is oh, that it feels for sure. Like, for sure. I mean, um, I think that I think that any time that you are a public face of an organization, the primary speaker, um, I think it's an incredibly dangerous place to be because there's a lot of benefits that go along with it. Um, you know, you know, uh, people buying your meals or, you know, like I like to, you know, golf. Is that really stereotypical for a pastor? You yes. know, like, you know, yeah. you know, different things like that. Like, um, you know, like you get the the. Um, yeah, your identity starts to get wrapped around like people think I'm good at something or, you know, they they associate me with hundreds of people that have been doing something on their own. Like it, it's not me that's doing it, you know, but but all of a sudden, um, you know, I, I think that there's tons of room for pride and arrogance in all the areas of our life. But I think that especially pastors, um, it's really dangerous because here we are uh, attempting to, you know, imperfect people pointing to the perfect God. And yet somehow, some way we start to receive the adulation and praise, um, in a way that I think is really unhealthy. And, and so I think that I instinctively felt that from the very beginning of being the pastor of this church. And I, I've always told people that I go to center city church as well. I'm not just the pastor of center city church that I, that I attend center city church. I mean, both of you guys have had opportunities to speak, um, extensively at, at the church and I don't just skip you know, like when other, somebody else speaks, it's like, I'm there in the front row. I enjoy it. I'm a part of the community. I, 
Um, I'm pretty open with my, with my faults and my, um, inconsistencies with people. And, um, you know, I had, uh, uh, you know, without naming any names, I, I had somebody tell me that pastors need to project strength and confidence uh-huh. and that you never let people see you sweat. And I remember in my early twenties thinking about that. And this is a, a b- biblical reference for those of you that wouldn't understand, you know, like instinctively know what I'm talking about here, but um, you know, the, the nation of Israel was a, a theocracy following God, but they wanted somebody who was strong and handsome and, and, you know, that ended up being King Saul and he ended up going crazy. And I remember thinking to myself when they were t- teaching me this early on, like, my goodness, like that guy went nuts. Why do I want to be that guy? You know, like I want to, I want to be somebody that follows God along with a community. And so I do think it's been a little bit easier for me to, to let go of it because I've never really viewed it. I, I've viewed it and you guys know this, I've, I've been very serious about it, but I've never viewed it as mine. Uh, it's God's church. And, and Steve, to your point, like there's no center city church in heaven. It's just the kingdom of God. I don't think that we're going to have, um, logos in the kingdom of God, um, for each of our little <laughs> tribes that we've been running with and stuff like that. Um, and so for me, um, it's better for center city church to have the right leader moving forward than it is for me to hold on just because, you know, we're at a point now where everything's, you know, if we're, if we're looking at a investment chart, everything's up and to the right right now, it's growing, the finances are going good. Um, and, um, it's just a compelling place to be right now. But to me, I'm not the one that's supposed to be doing it next. And so I've been really wrestling with that. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago, it started to kind of become crystal clear to me that, that it was time mm-hmm. to uh, hang it up. And I'd, I don't want to be caught in one season too long because that season is comfortable. I want to, I want to dance as God is leading the dance. So go back then, you know, you said, you know, you're, you, you're not the one who's supposed to be leading it into the next thing. So go back to, I want to go back to the conversation you have with your kids then, mm-hmm. because which was today, which today. yeah, it was just today. Yeah. Cause I don't know, you know, I have four kids. Oldest is 11. Yes. And you know, so, and here's one thing that I've found. Uh, and to be fair, Joseph has one. Right. Also. Like what? Cooler two? than all of your kids combined. I mean, I completely disagree, but he is very cool. <laughs> and that kid can throw a disc like you wouldn't believe disc golf. I mean, it's amazing. So, yeah. Again, this is what you talked about at the beginning. Like, yeah, this is a bunch of buds talking right now. So. Right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. My conversation with my kids. Yes. So what I found is you think you have a decent understanding of something until you have to explain it to a child mm-hmm. or one of your children. Mm-hmm. Um, this could, that could be anything, but I've, especially I found that to be true with, uh, you know, with theology and just the way we navigate, uh, life that way. So when you're talking to your kids, I mean, you're diving into like, okay, what is it that I believe when it comes to call Mm -hmm. listening to God, like, you know, um, you know, free will versus this being led. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, how do you, did you find yourself, um, wondering, you know, out loud in front of your kids, what I think about all of these things or like explain more about how you communicated that to your kids in a way that reveals what you think about all of that. Yeah. So we have, uh, we, a while ago, Dara and I went away and I'm taking a bit of a roundabout answer, uh, way to answer your question, but we went away and we said, what does it mean to be a part of the Dukeson family? And we established some family values and, um, I sometimes have a hard time remembering them on the fly because, you know, it's under pressure and I've got a microphone in front of my face, but, but we landed with, um, unity, uh, discipline, uh, generosity, 
adventure and uh yeah another one and so um <laughs> so one of the things that we um have have really tried to teach the kid the kids is that adventure is a part of following god and yeah we want them to be courageous we want them to try um you know roller coasters and and hiking and staring over the edge of a cliff safely you know um but also I think that one of the greatest adventures that we have uh, is the pursuit of this unseen perfect God that we have committed our lives and our vocation and our calling to. Uh, and, you know, the, the whole game sounds so ridiculous, right? Like, I'm called. Well, how do you know? I don't know. You know, it's just I feel something very deeply and, and I feel... I feel God and I can be wrong in that. Um, but I, I'd rather pursue God in the adventure than trying to just control everything perfectly. And so, um, for instance, and this will be not a surprise to you guys, but to some of the listeners, um, at the end of last year, I was nearing the end of my doctoral program and we had some really significant job offers that I navigated with you guys, a couple different universities, um, was in conversation with them. I've, I've had three different universities reach out. Um, we've had some pretty large organizations that, you know, have some international influence reach out. And one of the things that we've chosen is that, um, within reason, we don't want the kids to be on an emotional roller coaster, but if we start to consider something, we, we make decisions together as a family. And so we navigated some of that. And then today we did the same thing. Um, they, they already knew that we were, that we keep an open hand. Like somebody told me that, like, um, that, that having vision from God is like, um, holding something with an open hand. If you squeeze it too hard, you're just going to kill it, um, and never be able to receive whatever's next. But if you keep something with an open hand, then God will be able to kind of, you, you pass it off with a generous spirit and then God gives you something else. And so today we sat down with them again, just like we did at the end of last year and said, Hey, there's some opportunities that are in front of mom and dad right now that, that impacts the whole family. And, um, and the way that I described it to them, like you said, Steve, like, I, I think that you don't really understand something until you can explain it to a kid, you know, like, you, um, so that's just part of, you know, that's too broad of a statement, um, too absolute, but it's, it's a decent, Fits. <laughs> it's a decent one. And, um, and I asked them to go through the family values. And, and so we talked about the different ways that like faith is a huge part of our life and, and unity together as a family and generosity and, um, and, and so we just went and started going through it and I said, well, you know, what do you guys think of adventure? And I said, what do you, what do you, what does that mean to you? And they said, well, it means, you know, like following God. And I was like, yes. And so then that's how we introduced the idea of a new adventure that mom and dad and, uh, and our family were about to go on, which was, um, that we actually don't know what's next right now, but that we, the next clear step is that. Um, one of mom and dad's friends, um, has been affirmed by our board of directors and by some people that are in our lives as the next pastor of center city church. And they immediately started to well up with tears. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was all kind of couched in the adventure thing, you know, and, and what is that like to go on an adventure as a family with not knowing exactly what's next? Cause Jack wanted to be the next pastor. That yeah. Jack, his- yeah. Jack's told me that, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah. He, my, my 12 year old has told me ever since, uh, he's probably six or seven years old that 
Um, when he grows up, he wants to be the pastor of Center City Church, not just a pastor, but the pastor at Center City Church. And I'd say, Jack, what, you, what am I going to do? He said, you can sit on the front row. And I said, are you going to pay me? He said, yeah. And I said, great. Cool. Yeah, that's great. Deal. Except, except for like a couple of weeks ago, I asked him that same thing again. And he told me he wasn't going to pay me. I was like, dude, <laughs> he's very generosity. Fisc- fiscally one of our family value, you know? Yeah. Like, so, um, so yeah. And, and I, and I actually thought about that as he was, you know, they all respond so differently. He just stared you know, I mean, he was two when we started the church, you know, and so, um, you know, they just, they see things differently than we do. Talk about, uh, like, the difference between um, making life just dis, uh, decisions or choices, like, you know, like you've said, you know, you had different opportunities, I mean, even going back yeah. several years ago or whatever, and then even more recently, that all of those have been... Um, choosing a or b so like you have those in your hands you have center city or whatever the other thing was and so your decision making process included an evaluation of both of those but Mm. but this one is different in a sense and this one though it's interesting to me like you know the foundation one of the foundations of the you know the whole faith is is the fact uh what that god told abraham leave the place that you are and go to the place that I will show you, yeah. you know, or, and that very much feels like where we're at right now. Yeah. yeah. So what's the question? So did that, well, <laughs> here's the question. Did that make this easier for you? Because I'm, I'm going to somewhat answer it for you a little bit, maybe, <laughs> but to, you know, your, your decision to leave, if you felt that it was the right thing to do without having the place that you will go also told to you, then it feels like there's a little bit more, this really must be it then. Yeah, 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 it's very different. And, and also it's not a hard season. Um, there's been other times where we've been offered stuff in the middle of hard seasons. That's what's different about this. There's, we're in the most peaceful, productive season in the 10 years of our church. Um, and so that's another nuance to all of this. Um, it would be silly for me to say that I don't know what could be, but I genuinely don't know what's next right now. Um, there's, there's some options that we have to explore, um, whether it's with, you know, some different organizations that have reached out or, um, some different, you know, places. Um, I don't want to go pastor another church. Um, I think that that, that's been a good run here at center city, but there's other stuff that's interesting to me, um, that I want to explore, whether that's, academically or, um, you know, organizationally or just starting something new. But yeah, Steve, I I would definitely say that, that, um, it's, it's felt very pure even sitting here right now, not knowing what's next, but feeling the commitment to make sure that what we have poured our lives into is prioritized to that so that it will thrive, you know, like God willing after we leave, um, prioritizing landing well and finishing like a well done, you know, hearing that well done. And then like, like today, before we started this podcast, I, um, spent the entire amount of that time setting the next person up for success. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it, 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 I guess it, not everybody has that opportunity. I mean, to, to, to end that way, but it has felt very pure to, to prioritize center city. Um, and knowing that I, I have this like unbendable trust and faith in the Lord that he's got something for us on the other side. Yeah. 
do you, uh, I'm kind of curious to hear you talk about this a little bit because, and I'm sure Joseph and I could, you know, um, add to or correct or whatever, but <laughs> correct <laughs> or give a different opinion or whatever, but talk to, you know, just, just about you over the last 10 years, your evolution, like you're a different, you're yeah. a different person than I knew 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. And don't, and don't even take me back to college. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. So. Yeah, that was 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Steve and I were in college together and didn't talk ever. Um, that's that's real. That's yeah. real. <laughs> well, it's because, well. You're going to make yeah. a joke about my bleach blonde hair, weren't you? Well, I, yeah, I, but I it was it. too yeah. easy. Yeah, yeah, it was too easy. But since I started, yeah. he was Justin Timberlake and I was Eddie Vedder. So. <laughs> yeah, that is that is so true. And you're still Eddie Vedder. You haven't changed. That's so, right. Yeah, no. I feel like Steve probably peaked when he was like 14 <laughs> yeah, yeah. and like was just already yeah, like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm above this. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah. For those of you guys that don't know what Steve looks like, he has the most incredible beard and Joseph can't grow one. So they're a great pair. So. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think that, um, I think I didn't have a clue what I was doing 10 years ago. Um, in many ways, um, uh, these guys are going to make fun of me because I like hip hop, but, um, rap and stuff like that. But Andy Mineo talks about, um, the only difference between him now and then is, you know, when he was younger, he was dumb and he's still dumb, but now he knows it. You know, <laughs> it's like, I think that, that there's still some of that to me. I think we're all kind of making this up as we go. Um, I think there's some maturity, um, and some more comfort. Um, I, I've also, uh, 10 years ago, um, you know, I w was not interested in academics or um, I, I lived my life kind of fast and free and and uh, and, and even theologically um, kind of took the, the foundation that I had with my, uh, you know, undergraduate degree from Southeastern that I got, you know, between the ages of, you know, 18 and 21. I graduated when I was 21. Um, you know, I'll never forget a couple of years into Center City Church. We we're um, at Central Coffee on Central Avenue in Charlotte. And Joseph said to me, um, you need to read more. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> like, and, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, I don't know if you remember this, Joseph, but I, I have a really hard time reading. Like, um, like my, my brain is just so active. Like it's really, really, really hard for me to stay focused. And, you know, all of you, you know, armchair psychologists or psychiatrists can call me whatever you want, but it, it's, it's always been very difficult for me just to stay in one place and just, and so, um, because of that, I was really insecure academically. Um, I think I had a solid 2.6 in my undergraduate, you know, like, you know, I just could, didn't care about academics. And, and so that kind of spilled over into my, uh, pursuit of ongoing education after I graduated, um, didn't spend a lot of time, um, you know, as a young pastor, um, reading other pastors and other theologians and differing points of view. I, I, I wanted a lot of confirmation bias. I wanted to believe the things that I wanted to believe. And, um, and so, you know, both Joseph and Steve have, have given me, um, kind of gave me some confidence and introduced me to some good authors. Um, I also learned, you know, for anybody that cares about this, that, um, listening to audiobooks or listening to my Kindle, while having the book in front of me really helped because I can process really fast. Um, if you guys could even imagine this, um, I can read a Kindle book if I'm listening to it at three X speed on audible and I have it in front of me. And so I've had to learn how to learn. And so that's a big part of my last 10 years is I started my master's degree. Um, you know, after you guys were pushing me to, 
to, to learn and grow. Um, I'm on the board of trustees at Southeastern university and, um, some really cool opportunities opened up there for me to do my master's degree. And, and, um, I finished that with like, like a 4.0 and I was like, I didn't realize that I could learn. I mean, I didn't know that I was good at that, you know, and, and I had kind of accepted this narrative about me that, that I was just good in front of a microphone or on stage and that the lack of depth that I knew was there was okay because I could make up for it in other ways. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good in a boardroom. I'm pretty good in the high poverty communities. And so I, you know, I feel comfortable with people, but I think that's probably one of the biggest things that has developed over the last 10 years is my appetite to learn, finished my doc, my, uh, master's degree, and then, um, had another opportunity to continue pursuing my doctoral degree. And so, um, just finished that just a few weeks ago. And, um, Dr. David Dukes. Yeah, it's weird. Right. Um, and, and I think that probably one of the biggest things that I learned in the last 10 years that I, that I take away from this decade, um, we actually started center city church right around the same time that I turned 30. I remember getting a, remember those old white MacBooks, uh-huh. um, the, the laptop computers. I got one of those white MacBooks for my birthday and it was before the church actually started, but it was from this little small group of people that was in my living room. And they said, here you go, Pastor David. And it was like a really big moment for me because it, I wasn't their pastor yet, but they had pulled together $1,000 to get me this you know, computer. And, um, and so I'm about to turn 40 um, in a few months, and I've just been very contemplative about this decade and what it's meant to me. And one of the biggest things is that um, I'm comfortable... I'm comfortable not knowing and admitting when I don't know something now, but I'm more confident in some of the things that I have learned. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think that's just a point of, you know, maturing as, as an adult. And, um, one of the biggest things that I take away from my academic, um, pursuits was that, uh, I got to sit under some world-class Bible scholars and theologians and they would say things like, I'm not sure about that. Um, and I don't know if I agree with you, but let's talk that out and becoming more comfortable with less absolutes in my life. Um, I mean, I absolutely believe I would die for, for my faith. Um, I hope I would, you know, I think I would, um, that I'm comfortable with that absolute that I believe that Jesus is, is the way to heaven. Um, but a lot of the finer theological points, um, I'm more comfortable now exploring, um, and asking questions without it taking down my entire belief system. Um, I'm more comfortable apologizing to my kids if I'm wrong because I know that it's teaching them a humble spirit, you know, stuff like that. That, that trajectory is not common though to, as you age to get more open and more, Mm. you have to fight for that sort of thing. Mm. You talking about the whole reading thing. I, I've heard so many people and it, it's what it represents that would say, you know, well, I, I've only ever read two books in my life and, and the Bible's one of them. And I don't play on the new- old Testament <laughs> and the new Testament. And you're like, I don't know why when we talk like that, we talk like people from like the backwoods of West Virginia because I'm, I'm sure there's my sure childhood. There's, yeah. There's, there's people that are like real dumb about stuff that live in like LA. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah big time. So, Way dumber probably. Yeah. Uh, you hear that LA? (laughs) Yeah, we just, yeah. Uh, but that like you carry as if it's an absolute in your life Mm -hmm. and it only crystallizes Mm -hmm. more. And so, and it crashes harder 
if you if you absolutely believe something that you haven't taken the time to explore, you crash harder if if that thing falls apart. Of of course, and so I think that's been a cool, uh, and it obviously plays into this conversation, plays into where you're at, but that that level of openness going into something like this and that kind mm-hmm. of malleability is because if if you hadn't had it and this major identity thing, you've built something that is firm now and can you know withstand hits and if you were giving that up the power of that the prestige of that or whatever uh if you hadn't softened this would be a yeah. devastating life-altering thing yeah and i and i'd say to you know everybody that's listening um part of what you're feeling is the intimacy of friendship like even hopefully it's shining through on the you know over this recording um i didn't arrive there by myself i mean uh, these two guys that are sitting in this little room with me right now uh, have helped shape that. And I think that we we want to be so committed to figuring it out on our own when the real sweet sauce in life is opening up to others. And and you guys have been that for me um, and a small handful of other people that I've really, really opened up my heart to. But also like you get softened by taking hits and you, you get softened up by making a mistake and being absolute about something and screwing up. And so I think that that part of this journey of faith is, you know, some of the trials that the scriptures talk about, like the, the trials will produce something is like a trial that you brought on yourself because you're just being dumb, you know? <laughs> right. And, um, and so it's been really helpful for me to have, you know, friends like you guys in my life that have questioned, why do you believe that? Or why did you say that? You know, like you're, you're, you're really railing on something on Sunday morning. Why'd you say that? Or when we were in that meeting, did you really mean it when you said that? And, and I mean, I be very honest. I mean, you, you two are some of the people that have been pissed off at more in my life than, you know, especially Joseph, you know, like, um, you know, like, uh, it's like, you know, when, when your system is challenged by somebody that you love, it's harder to dismiss that person. Mm. And, um, because I know that, even if we have a sharp disagreement, our families are still going to want to hang out. So I don't just get get rid of you guys, you know? <laughs> right. Um, and so I do think it's helped as I've been exploring vocation in my own life. Um, just learning to hold things loose enough to let go if you're supposed to. And, um, and I think the educational process has helped, has helped that, um, making some mistakes has helped that. And, um, and yeah, as of today, um, trying to wrap my head around the fact that we are letting go of something that, is really significant to us. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's uh, it's not an easy thing. It's, I mean, it, it's family mm-hmm. to you, you know, yeah. and and to my kids, right? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, you, uh, part of your pastoral style is, uh, I would say, would be to incorporate public vulnerability into into that um so talk about you know the importance of of that in the way in which you have really rode some waves in front of the center city family um and then you know as you are now entering into this uh you know into this season i mean you know it it, it's going to uh mean the same thing i mean being publicly vulnerable about i don't you know here i am about to turn 40 and i don't necessarily know what's next yeah yeah um i've been thinking about it for quite a bit i mean one of the things that i want to do in the future is write and um i've got this idea rolling around in my head to write on the topic of dreams and disillusionment um and that's something that i think that 
kind of early on, I just decided that I was going to go the opposite direction of what I was taught, which was that I needed to wear armor, that I needed to, to project strength. It didn't feel real to me. Um, I would come home from my early days at this mega church when I was in my twenties and I would say, Dara, they're, they're bolting me together like a robot to be a perfect expression of a life of faith. Mickey Mouse. Yeah, I don't know what you mean by that. Stay smiling, stay, uh, yes. be the spokesperson, be the mascot. Are you trying to tell me that Mickey Mouse has had problems? <laughs> I think beneath all that fur, there's some real I mean, darkness. that might be one of my absolutes, and that's crashing to the ground right now. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I think that the public vulnerability has just been a little bit of a um, intentional... Um, overcorrection to the madness that I see from, I won't say most, even if I believe most, because I want to be nice. I don't want every pastor that's listening to this to, <laughs> to feel upset with me. But I think that most <laughs> uh, public uh, Christians, which is such an odd statement, right? Like I'm a public Christian. celebrity pastor. Yeah. Like, you know, and not just celebrity. I mean, I think that the, the guy who's pastoring <laughs> 200 people, you know, in Wichita, still feels this way. It's, it's why people apologize to us when they cuss and why I try to hide as long as possible at, at parties if I, that I'm a pastor is that we have been taught that pastors are supposed to have some sort of spiritual um, wavelength that, that sanitizes every part of their life. And so when I would publicly say that I was dealing with anxiety in the middle of dealing with anxiety, um, I did that on a Sunday morning. I mean, you guys were probably there for some of them, you know, where I publicly talk about the fact that I have a counselor and that I go to that counselor regularly. Um, I remember having a panic attack one night, wondering if the church was going to survive and had all these people on payroll and trying to figure out like how we're going to do it. And on a Saturday night, I knew I had to get up the next morning to preach. I couldn't sleep. And in my message, I said, I had a panic attack last night and I just said it out loud. And I think part of it was just because I want to, I've longed to normalize people's perceptions of public figures that are Christians. Um, every author, every pastor, um, every expert is a human being that has insecurities and has fears and has doubt and doesn't have the answer. Um, you know, when, when Joseph and I have sat, you know, without mentioning any specific moments, but have sat in hospitals together, not knowing what's going to happen with a life we have the same questions, you know, that the family does, of course, right. you know, and, and so I've gotten more comfortable saying, you know what, like I have the same doubts and the same questions and man, when we get to heaven, you know, I just believe that God's going to answer these for us. But on this side, I don't, I don't know if it's going to happen that way. And I still choose Jesus. I still choose him in the midst of it. So what's the role of the pastor then? I think it's to, 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 hmm, that's a good one. Um, I do. I do believe in spiritual leadership. I think it's a. I think it's a biblical gift. I think that um, that the Bible is very clear. It says, "Count the cost before you get into it." You know, like make sure that you know you don't just desire it just for just for the notoriety of it. That's my you know interpretation of that of that passage. But um, I think the role of a pastor is to um, to love and care for people. Make sure that that, that their hands are dirty in the midst of a community. Um, I, I wouldn't say that it's bad to have a big gathering of Christians with a good public speaker, but I don't think that's a church. Um, I think a pastor is somebody that's in the mix with the people. Um, it's part of the reason why I need to step away from this, to be quite honest with you, is 
the season that the Lord, I believe, is bringing me into is one where I need to take some time to really reflect on what I've learned over this last decade. And I told the kids this today. I said, um, I said, with the things that are on my heart, with the studies that I've done on generational poverty and the, the books that I want to write, the, the way that I want to teach other people around the country about this stuff, do you think that daddy would be a good pastor if I was doing all of that? And their answer was, you know, yeah, you're probably right. You know, like you, Center City Church needs somebody that's there. And, and like, um, I believe in delegation. I believe in all that stuff. But like, you know, if, if you've got a pastor that's not doing weddings and funerals um, and is not present in the life of people in the community, I don't think you have a pastor. I just think you have a good public speaker that's good at teaching the word. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just wish right. that they would call, stop calling themselves pastors. Yeah. I think it's a hundred percent accurate. Everything you just said. And I think, do you guys get hate mail? Uh, I don't, we don't get we don't mail. Have, <laughs> we don't have, yeah, we there's don't, no address, right? We don't have an email address. So. And I don't right now, you know, technically I don't know if I'm going to have a job, so there's no, no organization that's going to get in trouble for what I just said. No one can touch us. Yeah. Uh, I think similar to the role of a comic who will, uh, will be vulnerable, actual, actual vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about having a panic attack the night before. Most church vulnerability is uh, feigned. It's it's Well, and it's after it's done, right? Oh, it's oh, way six after months it's ago done. When I was dealing with pornography and da-da-da-da. You know, it's like... If that, and t- most of the time it's of, like, hey, can I just be vulnerable for a second? I just, yeah. I like chocolate chip cookies. and you know, yeah. I mean, I know you guys do too. Yeah. You guys can relate to that. <laughs> when I was 12, I lusted. <laughs> That's, yeah, it's know? like, shut and up, So dude. I get you. But like, so I think that part of it, talking about sitting in a hospital with somebody with questions is modeling for them both from the pulpit and in a hospital waiting room, that doubt and questions mm-hmm. and unknowing, I think I think so much of it is, is giving them license to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. If the pastor who studied all this stuff and blah, 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 and you know, this is all he does mm-hmm. or she does is able to say, I, I, I'm not real sure. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even... I have no idea what's going on. I don't know why God would allow this or whatever. And I think that that one of the things like, you know, that is going to be interesting for me to listen back whenever you guys decide to release this is um, I've got a very public uh, vulnerable moment coming. You know, Um, I'm having to decide how many people can we tell that are really special to us before we make the public announcement. And, um, and there's that realization that we're not going to get to everybody, you know, and then publicly, in a week and a half, I'm going to have to say to a group of people that I love dearly, um, I don't exactly know what's next. And what we've decided, uh, Dara and I, as a couple, is that we're just going to tell the story. Just tell it exactly like it happened. For a year, we've been trying to decide. We've had some other opportunities, but we've always chosen to stay here. Um, a couple of weeks ago, and this is the story. I mean, this I'm, I'm telling the story right now. A couple of weeks ago, I was praying about it, said, Lord, I will do this. This is... This is two weeks ago tomorrow. That's how fast this has changed. Two weeks ago tomorrow, um, I was driving from Tampa, Florida to Lakeland, Florida for a meeting at Southeastern University. And I prayed and I said, God, I will pastor this church for the rest of my life as an act of obedience to you. I just don't know if I want to. And it's not because I don't love the church. It's that I don't know if it's my season to keep going, but I will, and I will continue to choose this over everything else that's out there. Um, and I don't want to, you know, be too self-aggrandizing. Like, um, it's not like, you know, it's not like we have 20 options that we're working through right now, but there is, I mean, I just finished a doctoral program, so there's other stuff that I could go do. 
And it was during that prayer time that I finally allowed myself to be quiet enough. I turned off the radio. I just had a very normal conversation with God. There was no tears. It was, I will do this for the rest of my life or for however long you want me to. And as I was praying, um, I didn't hear a voice, but I just sensed a name come to my spirit. That's so crazy to happen Mm. in 13 days. Mm -hmm. And that's what's been weird about it is like, I would have never imagined that it would happen this fast. Like, um, like this morning I woke up and I, I think I was having a panic attack this morning, um, six 30 in the morning I woke up and I had just agreed to hand over this thing that we love <laughs> to a whole new leadership. Right. And so, uh, this morning I was like super tired and I'm sure everybody listening can understand this, that I think one of the weakest points is, is that state in between awake and asleep. And I'm like looking at the clock and I'm like, what am I doing up, you know, at this hour? And I started to freak out and it, none of it was logical. It's all stuff that we had w- eyes wide open. I had processed with, with you guys, with some of my other friends, some mentors in my life, but in those vulnerable moments of between awake and asleep. Um, I think that if you really want to make this a spiritual thing, I think that's where the enemy attacks is, is when we're vulnerable and tired. And, and so I slept restlessly for a few more hours after that. And then I, when I was getting my coffee this morning, uh, I was, you know, awake at that point And I was like, I feel so peaceful today. Like, I just feel so at peace. And then I remembered what was I doing in the middle of the night? Like freaking out about this, you know, like I believe that God's in this and I ended up having a great day today. So, yeah. So what, when you, when you, uh, think about then, so what's next or whatever, like, and you know, the question isn't what's your next job. I mean, we don't, mm-hmm. you know, but like what, what is your, what's your next, next, uh, gift expression might be a better way to put it because like, you know, talk a little bit about, and you mentioned what you studied in your, yeah. you know, your doctoral program. And, um, you, so, you know, and maybe talk about how a little bit more about, again, what you already mentioned about how maybe the, the local church isn't the, the best expression for you mm. moving forward. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I mean, a lot of my studies were on, uh, the level of access or the lack of access that people have to opportunity. And so, you know, like my, my studies were on how to help families out of generational poverty. And so I uh, came up with a framework from studying brilliant places across the country that are doing that, that talk about education and employment, healthcare, housing, and, and how folks that don't have access to that um, in a sustainable way find themselves trapped in cyclical patterns of poverty. One of the things that's been really hard for me is that at this stage of my life, at 40 years old, um, 10 years pastoring this church, experience in the mega church before, I would have what people would consider a pretty um, good resume at this point. And, um, and I don't sit around like staring at my resume. I don't even have a resume, but like, you know, like, oh man, look at everything I've done. But I say that to say I'm having to process what do I want to be in my 40s? at the end of my thirties right now. And, um, and part of that is I have a resume that if I wanted to apply for some things that I could get the things probably, you know, like that other people would want. Um, 
but I have to be true to myself, which is that I am not a manager. Um, I've asked myself if I would, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I got a call about a, an organization that, that has some pretty significant reach, um, both nationally and internationally. And I had to really ask myself, like, that's a really big ladder move, like vocationally, you know, but will I be satisfied giving my life to that? You know, cause there's, there's people that would be dependent on my leadership and I don't want to sell people short if I'm going to get bored with an organization that's already established. Um, and so that's something that I'm actively processing right now is, do I have that in me? Do I want to go be an organizational leader of something that's already established and see if we can take it to the next level? Um, the other thing is, um, through my studies, um, there's some frameworks that we put together to help families that I think that we could start something. And by the time this thing releases, maybe, maybe we have started the wheels in motion there. Um, I'm more entrepreneurial than I am corporate. And so like, um, I'm drawn to, um, like some people, if they saw a giant would be freaked out. You know, like I kind of run to giants and it's just part of my personality is like, I like challenges and I like doing things that, you know, maybe, maybe there's some pride. I'm sure there's some pride in this statement, but like, I like doing things that people think can't be done. Um, I, you know, Ralph Waldo Emerson talks about do not go where the path may lead, go instead where there is no uh, path and leave a trail. Like that's kind of like the way that I'm wired is to cut down new paths for other people to follow. Um, and so the entrepreneurial side of me is really intrigued by the lack of knowing what's out there because I, I think I've got some ideas right now, but I have no idea what that actually might look like. And so one of the options that is on the table right now is a season um, that that somebody has offered to fund a two-year season for us to explore starting something new. That's totally insane. Like I can't believe that's even an option that's out there. But even this morning, we told the kids about that, that, hey, we have a very generous offer from, from an organization that wants to fund starting something that goes along with the, the stuff that I've been studying. And, um, and I could absolutely see that as a very real option. I wouldn't have to move and I could still hang out with you guys. But I like that one. I know. I like that one too, you know, and, and my kids really like that one, you know. Um, but I was too quick to say no recently to some of the other things because I didn't even pray about it, you know? And again, you know, I'm a pa I'm was, I'm still a pastor. Right you now, are. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and Joshua, you know, the first 10 or 11 chapters, whatever it is, it talks about, um, it's always been compelling to me. It says that Joshua consulted the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, then Joshua spoke to the people. And then it's like, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. So everybody just deal with this if it's inaccurate, but like chapter nine, 10 or 11, um, Joshua makes a decision without consulting the Lord and it has incredible consequence. And um, he just thought it was the right decision, but he missed the formula that was there of wait till the Lord is leading your steps. And a lot of people were impacted for generation after generation because of a really bad decision of that leader. And so I think that I've been a little bit too quick to, to assume that just because I'm entrepreneurial and I'm a starter of things that that's what's next for me. And I need to be open to some of these opportunities that are out there, um, even if it's not my preference, because in my theological framework, um, 
I serve at the pleasure of the Lord. So if the Lord leads me into something that I don't think I'm very good at, um, I still need to be open to that. And I think that that's some of the vulnerability that, that you spoke to, Steve. It's like, I'm, I just, I'm not afraid to say that, yeah, I'll explore that even if I'm not good at it, you know? But it, but it definitely, I mean, this, you know, the, the generational poverty, uh, that you studied, I mean, that the feels foundational to what's next, you know, and that, you know, that, I mean, 10, 10 years ago, I don't think that you would have said that the church should, um, steal money from the poor, right? but, and it's a good thing to be generous, but, but even though some churches do, (laughs) that's real. We won't get into that one right now. Right. But talk about it. I'm just kidding. But um, you probably wouldn't have seen it as integral to right. the, the faith as you do. Well, I, and, and this is the, the value of education and why Joseph was right that I needed to read more. I thought that I was studying generational poverty uh, when I started my doctoral program three years ago. And I landed on the Great Commission, which is to love God and neighbors with full passion. And if we have an equitable society there would be no poverty. And that sounds so aspirational, but the whole greatest commandment is so aspirational. Love God with everything that you've got. Oh, and by the way, this isn't a second commandment. This is the same thing. You can't love God without loving your neighbor. And and loving your neighbor, not not just loving your neighbor well, but loving your neighbor as yourself. And you wouldn't you wouldn't want, you know, to be on the the brunt end of oppression, you know, the other blunt end of, you know, that that blow. Um you wouldn't want to be on the end of inequality. But when we have privilege and we have um, power and influence, we also don't want to let it go to create an equitable society. And so what I thought was studying the systemic reasons for poverty became a lifelong, what feels like a lifelong pursuit of just doing the one thing that Jesus said was the most important to get a society that loves God and loves neighbors well. And that includes economics and it includes, you know, um, power and influence and education and, you know, all these different things. Um, so yeah, I don't think that I could have envisioned this 10 years ago. I, I, there's no way I could have envisioned this 10 years ago. And the difference between 10 years ago and now is thousands of pages of reading, it's, you know, you know, probably at this point, you know, probably over, you know, thousands of pages of writing, you know, I mean, just, um, and just, yeah, lots and lots of time, you know, yeah. and, and friendships and, and stuff like that. So yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't have envisioned this, but it does feel foundational for what's next. Sure. Um, and you know, I, I have three things that I think I want to do, and I think it'll be fun for some of the people in our church to hear this as I'm processing this, like, um, I love Center City Church with every ounce of my being, but I love it enough to let go, right? Um, And I also have come around that I feel called to preach and I feel called to teach in an academic setting and I feel called to write. And I don't know what any of those things are going to look like, but those are the things that I feel called to. And so I'm I'm just hoping that whatever's next allows me to do those three things. And um, I think I'm willing to pay the price, even if it... um, yeah, even if it's hard to figure that one out. Yeah. I know of a church that would let you preach kind of like whatever you want. Okay, great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I I don't even have an accurate business card, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this is going to bounce around a little bit, 
but so you just you know you just mentioned you love center city with yeah every ounce yeah of i almost cried when i said that right yeah um so like i don't even know how to ask this but like i believe you 1000 i mean uh, mm-hmm. if there ever has been a pastor that i believe that about it it's you um but what does that mean because this is interesting to me over the last 10 years center city has been what four would you say i don't well, i don't even know four or five different people yeah iterations of itself yeah, yeah. so like yeah, you know that was the weirdest part about my last message that I preached. There was I looked out. And I'm like, I'm feeling very nostalgic. None of these people care. Yeah, right. So what is yeah. that? What's that Some like? Cared, but you're right. <laughs> well, it was, it was a different iteration of itself that w- did not go on that journey with you. Yeah, right. And so right now, well, however many weeks it is till you make your announcement, like. What would you say is the percent of the people in the audience right now that really understands the depth to which you're speaking to um, when you go back and they're seeing the emotion uh, tied to 10 years ago I did this? Yeah, I don't know. Because, I mean, part of the thing with growing is that um, I don't think that you lose depth per se. I think that once you've – there's some people that have arrived at a depth – but it's almost like going into an ocean, like, like maybe we're not digging it. Maybe it's like you progressively go deeper and deeper into something. And, um, some people are like ankle deep. And so I think that, you know, six weeks from now, I'm going to be up there crying like a baby. And <laughs> some people are going to be like, you know, yeah, that's cool. You know, like, you know, I, I, you know, so, so I don't know, but, uh, but I do think that, that there is a group of people like I've never known before. And you guys are a part of that. I mean, you know, for the listeners out there, we, planted another church out of center city church that Joseph and Steve are leading called neighborhood church. Um, and, um, I think that it's going to viscerally touch people that are a part of your church because they were on the journey with us for a lot longer. Um, and then there's a handful of people, maybe 30% of our crowd that it's going to really, you know, impact, you know, I don't want to be too, you know, like, think it too much of ourselves, but I, I think that we, sure. you know, have meant a lot to a lot of people there. And, and then I think there's some people that are, that just don't like change that are gonna be like, Oh, another church change. And I think there's gonna be some people that are like, I came on the wrong Sunday, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, it's like walking God, people are really somber. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I don't know. I, um, it's in a season of, of growth and so I think it's primed and ready for new leadership because I, to be quite honest, part of the reason that I know it's time to go is I, I can't, I can't see what's next. And, um, there's been seasons where I've said that publicly, right? Like that. I, I don't exactly know what's next. I think the better way to say that is I can't see Dara and I as leading the next thing. Yeah. And, um, and that is emotional for me to say, but it's also with a resolve that I know that Center City Church is going to be better uh, with the vision for the future instead of just holding on to what we had. Yeah. Yeah. What else do we want to talk about? Well, I want to get uh, on the record by the way, I'm not crying this whole time. I just, my allergies are absolutely <laughs> He's destroyed. He's an emotional basket case, y'all. <clears throat> I just want to get on record that uh, 
I'm appreciative that you moved to Charlotte because a, my whole life essentially is pivoting around your orbit in the sense that I wouldn't have moved to Charlotte if you hadn't started the church. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be friends with you in the way that we are. I wouldn't be friends with Steve. Who's, you know, you guys are as close to me as anybody in my life. Uh, neighborhood church would not exist. Um, yeah, so much of my life. I'm I'm weirdly nostalgic about this, and I'm noticing things. Uh, today on my Facebook memories, I saw that was the day, not that this is kind of a downer, but that this was the day that we announced the Ebenezer's thing in 2013. Mm-hmm. Today's also the exact 10-year anniversary of Central Coffee mm-hmm. being open, weird. which is super weird because, uh, you know, and these are these are really significant things. I mean, for I mean us. that's where we sat in the parking lot mm-hmm. when I first flew up here mm-hmm. uh, from college. Yep. that's where we had the reading conversations. Where yeah, had- and like, and I mean, that, and even just that that just calls back to you know what what we've learned. That was a you know we were going to partner with Ebenezer's Coffee House in Washington D.C. and start a, a a franchise of coffee houses that you know church not in a normal way. And we told a very compelling story and raised quite a bit of money fell flat on our faces very publicly. I mean, we were in the newspaper here at the Charlotte Observer about what we were going to do. I mean, people all over the nation were asking us about, like, you know, this unique church in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's not so unique now, you know, the idea of a coffee house in the church. But um, I think that's one of the things as I look back on this journey is learning how to fail and to survive failure. Um, you know, Jonathan Martin talks about how to survive a shipwreck. Yeah. You know, um, and... Um, I had a, I had a note from, uh, a woman named Cindy that you guys um, know was a really significant, or is a part of the center city church family has since moved out of town. And, uh, it was, a, a congratulations card for finishing my doctoral program. Mm-hmm. And I just got it like last week and I just cried and cried and cried because she said that walking through seeing the way that I would say so confidently, I believe this is the direction that God has told us to go and to charge and to raise money and to put my name on the line, my neck on the line, and then to fail. She said that she, she has no idea that this podcast is happening or where we're at. So she has no idea how meaningful and how vulnerable I was for, you know, like tears to pour all over this, you know, typewritten note she sent me. And, um, and she said, one of the biggest things that I learned from you is that it's okay when I fail. And she said, you taught me how to fail and to still keep moving forward. And if that's the type of investment that I have committed to this world with my time at Center City, I think that's worthwhile because it feels a lot better than seven ways to get a jet. Yeah, right. You know, or, you know... <laughs> thinking that, you know, some of the most unhappy people I know are people that have all the trappings of physical wealth. And so for me to not preach a gospel that, or for me to have preached a message that has resulted in this person's seven or eight year journey with us. Uh And for her to say the biggest thing that she learned from me is how to learn how to fail. That feels good to me. It feels like success to me. It feels like investing something real into the world because I think that our lives are a lot more like falling on our faces than it is the perfection that we project online. And, um, and I think that's, I want to keep doing that 
but that felt like a good affirmation of a decade of my life. Well, absolutely. What a gift. Yeah. I mean, and you know, that's where the interesting stuff happens. Yeah. You know, Beth, I Beth yeah. and I were talking about the next seven year kind of just breaking down like the next seven year chunk of life and different things. And one of the things said is I'd rather fail seven more times than not absolutely try things yeah. in the next seven, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's just so important. Yeah. I think a lot of successes, uh, you can stack the deck in your favor. You can aim really low mm -hmm. and, and be successful and like mm -hmm. manufacture your own success. And I think one of the things that you've done over and over again is take big swings. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm excited about, uh, in this next thing is that I think this will be your biggest swing. Uh, and, uh, because I know who you are, if it failed, you always fail forward. You know, you always, Ebenezer brought us to this, this brought us to this, this failure took us here. And so, you know, you always look at yourself dumb in retrospect, which means you're dumb now. You just don't know it. And so, uh, people that are just dumb enough to try things usually are the ones that end up accomplishing a ton. And so I'm excited to see what's next. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to sound so like, um, I, I have plenty of ego inside of me. I want to do something big. I want to, you know, I want to, I want to make an impact on the world. I want, you know, when, when I, you know, meet Jesus, you know, I want to have made an impact on this world. Um, and so I do have that instinct to, to take big swings. But I think that what my friendship with you guys and the humanity that I have felt for myself as the pastor of this church and what center city church has taught me is that just because I have that instinct doesn't mean that I should always follow that, that there's some things that are found in just the mundane day to day yeah. of, of friendship and, and being known and knowing others and, um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I want to write and I want to, I want to travel and speak. I want to, you know, teach people some of the things that we've learned, but I may end up, my next vocation may not be that thing that I envision right now. I, I don't exactly know that's, that's an honest statement. That's a commitment we made to each other, right? Right before we started recording was we're not going to act like I don't know what's next. And then, you know, really have something there, there really are some options that are out there but I don't know which one it's going to be. And I told the kids today, um, I said, also remember that we are on an adventure. And so we may be able to see what could be next, but if the Lord has something else in the next, you know, six to eight weeks that comes up, we're going to be open to that too. And so, and, and I want them to instinctively learn that, see it, feel it, grow up knowing that mom and dad don't have all the answers. And, um, and so I, um, I'm excited about that. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Joe. I love you. Yeah. Love you too. So, Both of you and your families. Gonna ask sillier questions then. I, Here's one. Okay. <laughs> What's your worst sermon? Oh dear. Can God. I answer? Well, anyway, yeah. <laughs> this is the sound of me flipping through <laughs> yeah. the list of Oh my gosh. <laughs> no. I mean, I mean, by far the worst one that I ever did was my, was my first one. I, my pastor, when I was 24 or 25, I was a musician. I was leading worship and he said, you're preaching. And I was like, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> you know, like, I, don't, I don't know anything. I don't have anything to say. And I just remembered that a lot of people laughed at Chris Farley when he ran around a bunch and <laughs> would like run into things and, 
he gave me the topic, the fear of God as my first message to a group of like middle school and high schoolers. And I just like, I remember my one point was that the fear of God equals respect of God. And then I made a bunch of jokes. I jumped around, I jumped off speakers. I purposely fell on the ground. I hurt my elbow. Like, and then I just spit some scriptures out. And How many I people are there? At stopped, this point? I mean, 300, this was, this yeah. was like a big youth group, you know, uh-huh. like, and, I mean, we had a blast, but I can't imagine that any of their lives were impacted in any way other than I think laughter is good, but I don't think that was my job that day. They thought you were the coolest though. I'm sure. Yeah. But I've had plenty of bad sermons. Believe me. Uh, so, uh, give us a, a talent that, uh, you wish you had. I think I probably know the answer to this, but give us a talent you wish you had or a talent that you have that, uh, nobody knows about. I just, I just want to rap. Yeah, that's yeah, what I that's thought. What, we we all saw that coming. I just and I can't. Like, we're gonna, we're gonna cut this out. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I just I just want to rap. I, and and if I can't rap, I want to be the yeah guy. You know, like the guy that's at the concert. That's like, uh huh, yeah, come on, Cleveland. You know, stuff like that. People in Cleveland are bad sad. city choice. Yeah, that's tough. Well, and that's why they need the joy of rap. <laughs> you would, you would feed or the into more stat more sadness for sure at that point. I can hear you, David Dukasen. Makes Cleveland even sadder. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, everybody. <laughs> it's just gray. Um, all right. And then the last question is, well, do you have any recommendations for us to something to read? You listen to the podcast. You know this yeah, is coming. Yeah. Anything to read? Anything to I think watch? The best, the best book on gentrification and understanding societal issues that was written in a way that was just really approachable please was, say your dissertation was my is my <laughs> academic dissertation that has no stories in it only content you know like um no the i mean uh how to kill a city by uh, my new friend peter moskowitz is phenomenal and um and so uh, i had peter come in and I reached out to him and he came in and spoke at, at the church um and uh, uh just fair warning for all of you uh christians out there um it's not a Christian book, but it's it's phenomenally written on how to understand um, things like that. Um, it's very approachable. Yeah. Let me, well, let me ask this one real quick. Okay. Um, if it doesn't work, we can we can edit it out. But because I don't really know how to phrase it well yet. But so you know you're nearing towards the end of your life or whatever, and you're and not yet. You're just, no, no, you're no. just gonna be right. I was gonna yeah, say, I'm, dang, I'm, dude, like you're old. I just feel not young. That. I just, yeah, right, right, right. I mean, I can. Really athletic. Now, <laughs> uh, so let's fast forward eighty more years okay, or whatever. Great. So nice, one twenty. Yes, that's huge. That's yeah, so you are in a very reflective place right now. So, like a lot of the way that we uh, describe people is, you know, we we say they are a combination of whatever. So, like if we're talking about an athlete, we're like, well, what's he like? Well, he's a combination of this guy and this guy. Right. So. You're being reflective. A successful life to you would look like being compared to who? Two people. David Dukasen is a combination of. Because like LeBron is a combination of Charles Barkley and Michael Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, My mom's faithfulness and prayer. I'm not crying. She is just. I, I grew up listening to her pray until I was asleep. Um, my dad's entrepreneurial spirit. Um, he's not afraid of big things. Um, 
Yeah, I, uh, I mean, it's, it's probably easy because you guys are sitting in front of me, but the friendship that you guys have shown me, um, I think I'd want that um, as a part of it because you guys have never really cared what I did, you know? <laughs> um, it was just always, um, you know, I remember in various ways you guys telling me, if we don't like this, let's just go to the work of the bank and we'll just... Steve didn't say you'd go to the bank. I would. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, would sell out a hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Like, let's just do something else. Yeah. Steve would be like, let's just go like build a farm. Careful. Okay. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, they, they make bunny feet, like those little things. Steve's going to start goat feet. Yeah. <laughs> it's a I, big keychain, but it's. <laughs> and I'm still all with my feelings. I mean, I, I'd say somebody like um, Tommy Barnett that had a vision and just courageously chased it down. It was so much bigger than him. He's a longtime pastor out in Phoenix and has done a lot of really cool things. Um, and maybe the grit of the people that I've met in West Charlotte that are living in poverty and yet have found a way to just make it work. Yeah. That's a great answer. Except we just we just said of that. we just Very said two. Acceptable. You said eleven. But yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. No, that's well. I'm I'm the talent in the room today. You know, like I, I am you are talent. extremely talented at answering questions with eleven answers instead of two. <laughs> I have your green M and M's for you. Thank you. I appreciate. it. I'm extremely demanding. <laughs> uh, last question, and you may not. I don't know if you know the answer to this. I would like it to be topical for us. Can you think of a time that us three have laughed the hardest together? trying to remember all of my best jokes i mean i don't i don't know if the times that i would um publicly share no I, yeah well that's one of them but like i, I don't know if the, the memory that i have would be the same one that you guys have but there was a gathering in my house and steve's son soren or we were all there and it was in my this little dumpy house on 8th street in charlotte and it I was still drive by sometimes very 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 beginning of center city church and soren was less than two years old and he climbed my couch and jumped to no one like a flying squirrel. <laughs> and at the very last second, Steve instinctively knew that there was like a human that he created that was in peril. It turned around and like caught him with one hand and just started dying yeah. laughing. And it was just like this terrifying moment. And Soren was just so happy. It's so happy. Like didn't even have any idea that his life was in danger. And Steve was just like, yeah, that's normal. It's this life. That's the first thing that came to mind. Dad reflexes. Fatherly yeah. instinct yeah. kicking in. It's it unbelievable. Yeah. yeah, it really is. The number of times that I've pulled Zeke right as he's about to, I mean like a hundred percent the hospital, probably the ICU, just like yeah. slamming his head into a corner. And I just, anyway. Yeah. And, uh, well, it, what's really cool also is just the way that, you know, our kids have grown up together. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, but very cool. Not that they will not Mine continue. Mine were teenagers first, so I can tell you guys all about that. Yeah. But. Please don't move. Because <laughs> right? we were like, that's like a legitimate thing, right? Like we, we, don't, don't. we don't know. Yeah, just but just please don't. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm praying for. Thank you. I appreciate, Biggest I appreciate you praying for the most amazing things possible within the city limits Charlotte, of Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we always have the guest to say the catchphrase at the end, which is what, Joseph? It's, it's um, <laughs> to God be the glory. <laughs> Maranatha. <laughs> you guys are so dumb. 
<laughs> so guest, if you could say our catchphrase. <laughs> I'm I'm just not gonna okay. do it. <laughs> He's the first guest who's refused to do that. I swear to God. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm close uh, enough to you guys to refuse dumb ideas. That's right. <laughs> well thanks, David. Appreciate it, man. Love you guys. Love you.